Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. I want to sort of talk about that. If you'd like to turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read um, a, a few readings in Mark and in, and in Luke. And back to Mark again. And it's the transfiguration. And if you found that, I'll just take the time to pray. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word as living and powerful, as sharper than any double-edged sword, even to the dividing of soul and spirit, uh, joints and marrow, and the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so, Lord, as we hear your word, I pray that, Lord, the speaker would be invisible and that, Lord, instead we would think about what you would say to us uh, from your living, breathing word, this very theonustos, the breath of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just read together this account of the transfiguration. And we'll come in at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. There's just a couple of other readings. One's back in Luke 2, just after where Keith left off. And it's in Luke chapter 2. And um, we're going to come in at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. I love the way it came to you. And they were sore, afraid. Oh, just says it, doesn't it? Fear to the point of pain. <laughs> now we know that story. So for the sake of time, we'll go back to, to Mark again. And this time go forward a little bit to Mark chapter 14. And an ignominious part of humanity's behaviour when the Saviour was with us. I don't think we'd have done any better, so we'll not condemn anyone. And it's in the garden, and they've come to arrest Jesus. 
And in verse 48, the Lord is speaking and he says, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and left. They all forsook him and fled. Can you remember a, a time, I don't know, you probably can't, um, unless you were alive during the Second World War or something, but can you remember a time when, when people were so frightened? You know, you talk to people and there's just such a, an aura of fear. And more than likely, this pandemic that we're living through has been the worst thing to happen in a generation, or certainly the fear of it has. And fear, I was just thinking about this, and I was, really, I was reading this in my bed one night in Mark chapter 9, and it just it really moved me, that transfiguration and the account and what was said. Fear is an entirely reasonable reaction to impending danger. It's entirely reasonable. I remember not so long ago, and you'll remember too, when I had a motorcycle accident out there at Muckles Corner, and a car pulled out right in front of me. And I had nowhere to go. And I pulled on the brakes and the bike went down. And, and I'm sliding along the road, hit the back of the car, hit a curb, broke my leg. And I tell you, I was afraid. And that's reasonable to be afraid, isn't it? In a time like that, I imagine you might be. <laughs> now, do, that's, that's a reasonable fear of impending danger. But what if I never ever were to venture out in the road again, not on motorcycle, not on car, maybe not even on foot, because of my fear of what happened that day, would that be an unreasonable fear? So some of our fears are reasonable, some are unreasonable, and there's some in between. I was sharing this with Katie the other day, something I had read recently. It was something that during the, the Great Depression in Britain, or in the in United States back in 1933, terrible, terrible days. Horrific people living in a dust bowl. You know, it was just terrible depression years. And Franklin Roosevelt tried to, to get the economy going, to try and inject in, into the nation a, a spirit of hope because people had become hopeless and fearful. And he said this, you, remember, you, you perhaps remember this quote. So first of all, he said, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes efforts to convert, retreat, and to advance. Now, Jesus repeatedly addressed the specter of debilitating fear that we go through. And continually one of his most often said phrases is, do not be afraid, fear not, do not be anxious, do not worry, fear not, do not be afraid. Continually. And you might say, well, which of the two fears that I started out with was he dealing with? Some fear is entirely reasonable because there's an impending danger coming. 
And for a lot of the people that Jesus was speaking to, there was an entirely reasonable fear. He even spoke about it. He prophesied about it. What would happen to those in the mountains? They flee into the mountains. And oh, those who were nursing mothers in those days. And talked about the destruction that Titus would bring upon Jerusalem in 70 AD. Terrible, terrible days. And the Romans were already stamping around the place, crucifying people on every hillside they could find in Judea. So there was a reasonable fear. But there was unreasonable fears, frightened of things that just fear itself. Someone once said, don't be, don't be afraid, 90% of the things you're worried about never happen. So which was he dealing with? Or was it both? Or was it more? Or... At the Transfiguration... Luke points out a little bit more. Mark, you know Mark, if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, Mark, just, there's a thing that's happened, there's a thing that happened, there's a thing that happened, this happened, that happened, that happened. You know, it really is quite a rush with Mark. Luke takes more time and, and looks around and, and, and puts some more detail in. And what he tells us is this, that actually at that, on that hillside, on the mountain of transfiguration, do you know how it happened? Actually, Peter and James and John were sleeping. Now, you ever... Um, You've all probably done this or been a victim to this. You're half asleep and suddenly somebody jumps up on you and you nearly jump out of your skin. You know, oh, there's my skin over there. You've just jumped out of it. You know, that sort of fear. And people give you a real fright. I'm awful prone to jumps like that. People jump on me. I'm awful. I jump. But you ever, so, and whenever you come out of it almost asleep and suddenly you see, well, that's the way it was with Peter and the disciples here, these three. They were short of sleeping. They were really tired. Half, and suddenly, and Luke tells us that they came fully awake. And there before them, they saw something that was unbelievable. They couldn't even, Mark couldn't even put it into description. Dazzling white, like the sun. How do you say this? Whiter than anybody could possibly bleach it. They just didn't have a way of describing what they were seeing. How that Jesus was, was completely not like the, the carpenter's son that they'd been with. The rabbi who had walked through the Judean hills. They suddenly were shocked out of their sleep and saw something astounding. Miracles, or, or Spurgeon, when he was writing about this, he said, you know, this wasn't so much a miracle. In fact, this wasn't a miracle. It was actually a suspension of the miraculous. Because the miracle was that God... Veiled in flesh in Jesus Christ was the miracle. <laughs> Jesus could walk and talk and be amongst us and appear as a human being. That was the miracle. For a moment, the Lord let that veil drop. And it's just as well he did because, you see, just before this, their hearts were heavy because Jesus had told them back in Mark chapter 8 that he was going to be taken and beaten and put to death. And they were tired with fear and impending doom. Where was this going? And then they opened their eyes and there he is. And then Peter, it's just sort of humorous, you know, the way Mark puts it, for Peter didn't know what he was saying, you know. So well, let's, let's put up three uh, tents, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you. He just didn't, and, and Mark says, look, he just didn't know what he was saying. He was just, boom, you know. It wasn't the Feast of Tabernacles. There was nothing about this particular time that meant he should have been being up. He just said, oh, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll put up three shelters. And what? Is, what? <laughs> and at that point, 
God intervenes. And he said, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. You see, Peter, and we're not going to blame, what would we have done, run down the hill probably? Peter had sort of, without thinking about it, equated the three, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Whereas present in the form of the law was Moses, present in the form of the Old Testament of all the prophets was Elijah. So all the law and the prophets were there testifying to the one in the midst, which was the fulfillment of all that the law and the prophets had spoken about. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shining in a glory indescribable. And so, not wagging the finger or anything at Peter, God just says, this is my son. I've maybe shared this with you before. Whenever I used to visit my dad in his wee house in Grey Abbey, and I would go into his house, and he would just look up, and his, his face would light up, and he would say, Hello, my son. I can still see him doing that. And what was he doing? He was identifying that he was my father, that I was his son. And that was all, that he loved me, that he cherished me, that he cared about me, that I was his son. Sometimes he would do that in public. <laughs> Sometimes he would tell friends, you know, People, I remember visiting him in hospital and he, in the ward he was in, there was five, five of them, and he would say, this is my... And I would be a bit embarrassed. And I would... And you know, it wasn't maybe the best reaction. Maybe I should have turned around and said, and this is my father. In times of fear, in these times of fear, does God not want to remind us in the Christian church of the same thing? Listen, as we come here this morning, this is my son. I read two other times of fear in the Bible, didn't I? And Luke and Mark. One was back when the, she- when the shepherds were terrified, sore afraid. And you know, they went down to the manger and it's as if it was God was saying, this is my son whom I love. As he presented his son veiled in a baby, the gift to us all, this is my son. And as I mentioned in Christmas Day, 33 years later, they took him and crucified him. And we, we were every bit as complicit. We'd have done the same thing. And then we all forsook him, if you like, to put ourselves in there in the garden because I don't think I would have stood up and been as brave as Peter. I think terrified with the army before us, we would have, and the crowds who were just as likely to grab you and pull you down to the, to the judgment seat. And so they all forsook him and fled. 
And then they took him to the cross, and there they nailed him. And there hanging on the cross, I can hear the same words from God the Father. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And what does he say on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. I think it's just maybe in these days where we're afraid, we need to be reminded the things we have been preaching about believing in God, we need to practice. I was sharing with Liam just yesterday that, you know, we thought about those churches who existed during the times of Ceausescu and Hoshka and the different communist leaders who, if you were a Christian, to meet together could have been your death sentence. And we remember when Drew Craig used to visit Romania and he used to send home recordings of little churches hiding in those Romanian underground churches as they sang worship to Jesus Christ. Despite the danger and the fear around them, they met together and they worshipped Jesus Christ because the fear of what might happen, they set aside so that They could obey those words, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And they worshiped together and some of them lost their lives. We have a tremendous fear about us and we're careful as we can be, but let it not destroy the the bigger reality that God calls us to worship and to bring him the honor that he deserves because he has given his son for us. He loves us. And you know this? John, in writing one of his epistles, said this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God because that is who we are. God, who allowed us to take his Son and to crucify him on a cross, still forgives us when we come to him. And then he calls us his children because he loves us. This is my son, whom I love. He loves us with a father's love. I think of my father looking at me and loving me. And the love that our heavenly father has for us, that was only a reflection of my heavenly father's love. So, in times of fear, whatever it is, whether it's this pandemic or personal circumstances or whatever it might be in your home or family or those folks living at home, whatever it might be that is frightening you, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do not be afraid. Trust in me. This is my son, said God the Father, whom I love. Listen to him. Because he's with us. God is with us. God is with you. Amen.